Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the NBA playoffs are tipping off this weekend, and California will be at the center of the basketball universe. For the first time, all four of the state's NBA teams have made the postseason in the same year. We'll hear what's ahead for the Clippers, Kings, Lakers, and Warriors, and dive into the biggest basketball storylines from Sacramento and the Bay to L.A. We have reigning champions, feel-good turnarounds, long-suffering fan bases, and don't forget LeBron James and Steph Curry. We'll dive into the buckets, ballers, banners, and of course, the beam. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. And today we're talking about the NBA playoffs. They tip off tomorrow with a very California feel. As the light the beam chant begins in unison. Dub Nation, lock in. Man, Cooper Nation, it's playoff time, man. LeBron stands alone! For the first time, all four of the state's teams have made the postseason in the same year. This hour, we'll unpack some of the biggest storylines and the outlook for the Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, and Kings. And joining me here in studio, Janie McCauley, sports writer covering the Warriors for the Associated Press. Good morning, Janie. Good morning. Thanks Thanks for having me. This will be fun to talk some basketball. Absolutely. Great to have you. Also with us, Jeff Zilgit, NBA reporter for USA Today Sports. Good morning, Jeff. Yep, hope everyone is doing well. And Jordan White, sports writer whose coverage of the Sacramento Kings has appeared on Sacktown Royalty. Hey, Jordan. Hey, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And we want to hear from you, our audience, our listeners. Who's your team? What are your expectations heading into the playoffs? Want to hear your uh, thoughts, your predictions, your memories of past, you know, California playoff teams and their runs, their matchups. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Or give us a call now. Our phone lines are going to be open, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Jordan, I think we have to start with the biggest story in California's NBA universe, the Sacramento Kings. They've ended the longest playoff drought in league history. Give us a sense of just how much Kings fans have suffered over the years and I guess how they're feeling now. Um, well, I mean, it's it's like we won the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it seems dramatic and, you know, we haven't actually accomplished anything crazy yet, but... Just the whole vibe of the city has changed. Everyone seems a lot more ecstatic. And the when the drought began, I was turning seven years old. So wow, 
the vast majority of all you've life. known <laughs> yeah all i've known is what a lot of kings fans have called basketball hell for a long time so to now be out of that place and you know be relevant again and have an actual vision of what the future may hold is definitely just it's amazing and their reward for that rags to riches story is a first round matchup with the defending champion golden state warriors Janie, Warriors come back after winning the title last year, but it's basically been a roller coaster since training camp started. Every season is is different, and that's that's what they'll tell you. And this this Warriors team very much could have fractured during training camp when Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole. And instead, Kavon Looney, Stephen Curry came together, kept the group together, and Again, they're in in position to defend their championship when at times it looked like it might not happen. But this group, I've learned never to rule out this group. They have the experience. They have the young young talent that got key experience while some guys were injured um, in the early months of this year. And just, just having some of those leaders who've been through it and seen some adversity and gotten through it and, and won... Uh, I never count them out. And you were covering the Warriors uh, press events this week. News that Andrew Wiggins, a key player on the team that won the championship last year, has been away from the team for a long time. He's now going to be back. He will play game one on Saturday. And, you know, uh, Connor Letourneau from the Chronicle and I looked at each other and nobody knows how many minutes he will play. And playing 25 minutes is a big difference from playing 10. But but as Steve Kerr has said, Wiggins keeps himself in great shape. Even if he was away for seven weeks almost, dealing with a family matter, uh, he's not one who falls out of shape. So it's getting his conditioning back. And certainly, you know, running three miles out on the road or whatever he was doing, weightlifting, Getting some shots up is different than game action in the playoffs. Let's let's be real there. But uh, he has shown that he can get right back in the flow pretty quickly, and and so uh, that's a big deal to have him. They feel complete. They feel their group is together. Gary Payton too, who was such a key uh, contributor last season, he is ready. And um, again, some of those other guys coming off the bench gained key experience early in the year and some games that mattered. Jeff Zilgit, the Lakers survived a play-in game on Tuesday to make it into the playoffs. It wasn't pretty. I think James Naismith was probably rolling in his grave watching that game, but they're in now. And honestly, they're a team that it seems like no one wants to play at this point in the playoffs. How are the Lakers looking going into the postseason? I, I would take a little bit of what uh, Janie just said about Golden State. And when you have that core group, when you are facing a team that has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, that Lakers team is going to be dangerous in the playoffs. And you, they also have the ability with their experience to, you know, possibly get inside the head of the Memphis Grizzlies, who for the most part have had a solid season on the court. They'd have some off court uh, stuff to deal with, with John Morant. Um, but when you take into account that, the last two months of the season, which is no small sample size, it's a, it's a third of the season. The Lakers, I believe, have the third most wins in the NBA, and they have the second best defense. And a lot of that stems from trade deadline deals they made to reshape their roster to make this playoff push. They acquired Rui Hachimura, 
D'Angelo Russell, who used to be a Laker and is now back with the team, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. And that's given them some depth, a little bit more scoring, and they don't have to rely so much on LeBron and Anthony Davis. But at the end of the day, any success that the Lakers have, it's going to stem from the play of LeBron and Anthony. And I think the question with those two is always going to be health, right? That's been a question all season. How is the health of LeBron James, Anthony Davis looking heading into this first round? Yeah, they come in mostly healthy. I know LeBron James missed some games, um, you know, post All-Star break. Anthony Davis was fairly reliable uh, pre just before All-Star and then after All-Star. I mean, he, he you know, unless there was, it was for rest and, you know, a, a game that they were willing to accept what the outcome was, he, he was playing in games. And so they have those two healthy. Again, that can change at any moment. You, we've been all covering the playoffs uh, and postseason long enough to know that you know whether it amounts to a clay thompson and kevin durant injury in the nba finals or you know whether it's another team that has someone uh sideline how much that has to do with the team's success but as long as those two are in the lineup uh and contributing uh, again they remain a dangerous team And, and i've said this is an atypical playoff in the western conference when you have a seventh seed like the los angeles lakers a sixth seed like the Golden State Warriors, and then even the Phoenix Suns acquiring Kevin Durant is not your usual four seed. That that's a lot of talent on the court uh, for the Phoenix Suns, and, and so I, I just hold out the possibility that there could be some upsets as least as seeds go, um, and some chaos in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. And Jeff, the Clippers were a really trendy pick to win the Western Conference at the beginning of the season, but they've really bought into this strategy of resting players dubbed load management. Kind of explain how that's worked and how it's worked out for them this year. I don't think it's worked out great, but the playoffs will determine that. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George is injured right now. Um, So that's different than the load management, which basically means they're going to give players or a player a night off uh, because either he's coming back from injury, nursing an injury, um, and and they're just being cautious so that he doesn't re-injure himself in a sideline for even longer. That's how the Clippers have treated Kawhi Leonard ever since he joined the team from winning a championship with the Toronto Raptors. Now, the Clippers have a conference finals appearance to show for it, but they haven't reached the NBA finals. And this is a team, when you include Paul George and Kawhi, they haven't played but barely 50 games this year. And then that makes it really difficult for a team to get into the playoffs and say, hey, be this well-oiled machine that has to beat Phoenix. And then in the second round, potentially beat a team like the Denver Nuggets, the top seed in the West. And then if they were to win that series, then, you know, can you beat a team like Golden State or Sacramento or Los Angeles or Los Angeles Lakers or Memphis? And it just becomes very difficult for a team in the Clippers position to win all those games and get to the finals. And it really seems like they drew kind of the short straw, the really tough first round matchup against the Phoenix Suns. No one wanted that fifth seed. Everyone wanted the sixth seed. And uh, uh, again, it goes to to what we're talking about at the beginning of the show, where Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs for so long. And they're the darling team. And yet 
Golden State would have preferred and does prefer to play Sacramento rather than the Clippers or the Phoenix Suns. Janie, all these teams have been in the same division all year long. They've played each other all season with mixed results. The Lakers have done really poorly against the Clippers. The Warriors had some good results against the Kings this year. Does any of those regular season matchups matter now? Or how much from what you've talked to players and coaches are they taking into account everything that's happened from October to April? I don't think so. I mean, Draymond Green said it um, the last couple of days. It's it's a new slate, and we're the team that knows how to play on this stage. So the Warriors still believe they have a great chance to win it. And so throw throw that other stuff out the window. But you can't ignore what the Kings accomplished under Mike Brown in this first season. And, of course, that's going to be an interesting uh, part of this first series, Mike Brown was the Warriors' top assistant in, in recent years and, and their defensive leader last season. Draymond said yesterday, he said, that intensity with Mike Brown, uh, when he started talking about defense, his face would start pouring sweat and just a passion. And that is a large reason why those Kings players have bought in, because Mike Brown is somebody those guys want to play for. He's fun. He's spirited. He smiles. His his laugh lights up a room. And so there's something about Mike Brown. And this that's going to make for an interesting part of this. They know each other well. We're talking about the NBA playoffs. All four California teams are in it. And we want to hear from you. Who's your team? And maybe share a playoff memory. There's so many great matchups between these teams. I'm thinking of those classic Lakers-Kings series from the early 2000s. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at KQED Forum, or give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. And we're talking about the NBA playoffs, the Warriors, Lakers, Kings, and Clippers. They've all made the playoffs for the first time together ever. Joining us is Janie McCauley, sports writer covering the Warriors for the Associated Press. We also have Jeff Zilgit, an NBA reporter for USA Today Sports, and Jordan White, a sports writer who's been covering the Sacramento Kings. We also want to hear from you. What are your expectations heading into the playoffs? We want to hear your favorite memories from postseason's past of the Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, and yes, going way back, the Kings as well. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at kqedforum. 
or give us a call now, 866-733-6786. We've got one caller ready on the line, Teddy from Sacramento. Let's hear what you have to say. Hey, Teddy. Is this guy Maserati? This is he. This is he. Guy, how's it going? Santa Clara stand up. Graham Hall stand up. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, favorite <laughs> favorite uh, Laker memory was uh, Laker versus Kings, game seven. I remember, like, after the game, L.A. was on fire. Um, Lakers uh, uh, won a close game, and I just remember the city just, like, honking their horn. I remember uh, people yelling out the car, just, like, screaming, like, Lakers going to win it all. And then I remember the next day, every, every car in L.A. had the Lakers flag, and it was a, a unified uh, moment uh, for the city of L.A. I that mean, was my first, like, experiencing L.A., um, being so like together. I mean, those series were incredible. And also it was just like, that felt like the NBA finals, right? It was like, whoever was going to win that series, you know, was, was going to win it all. Jordan, from Sacramento's perspective, you, you might remember that series a little differently. There was the referee controversies. There was of course, Vlade Divac batting out the ball, Robert Horry catching it and hitting the game winning three. Um, you know, I, I guess that plays into kind of this long-suffering experience that Kings fans have had, often, you know, at the hands of the Lakers. Yeah, and, you know, when, the way I like to think about it is what would the Kings franchise look like right now if that series had gone the other way and there wasn't any controversy? Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was very small at that time, so my understanding of the game of basketball was simply just Kobe Bryant – and that's it. <laughs> um, that's all I cared about. And, you know, I liked enjoying the Kings, you know, thrive at that time. And it was exciting to kind of get me into sports at a young age. But even, you know, it's been so many years. People think about that playoff series and it's like war flashbacks. Um Everywhere you go, people, you say anything about it and people are going to go on a rant. You could talk to anyone on the street in the Sacramento area and they could, you know, rattle your ear off all day talking about just that one series, just those final couple games. And it's definitely a different vibe and how he had mentioned the city of L.A. grew closer together with that series. I feel as though the, the city of Sacramento also grew together, but more of in a, a hatred kind of way. <laughs> mutual hatred and it's something that i don't think the city will ever get over unless we were to beat the lakers in a playoff series right well that that could happen this year teddy thank you again for your call i guess you know jordan take us through now how this ended how the sacramento kings were able to end this drought as you mentioned there's a whole generation of kings fans who don't remember rooting for you know multiple playoff teams how did this turnaround happen this year? Uh, I think it all started with the ownership. Um, Vivek Ranadive brought in Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox to lead the team, um, the general manager and the assistant general manager. And I think what finally has happened over the last couple of years is that he took the role of owner as more of the financial role and just giving the team what it needs. And he let... Uh, McNair and Wilcox actually run the team. Um, Vivek isn't a basketball mind, um, to my knowledge. Um, and I think we all saw that for the first few years. So passing it on to someone who has 
a long history in the NBA, I think very much made the change happen. And then also a lot of it was just accountability. Um, the Kings had just been stagnant for years and years. Nothing would ever change. They were always just kind of had like, a, oh, you know, one day this will be the move. This will be the move. And they were just waiting for that one big move. And instead this year they made a bunch of medium-sized moves that collected and turned everything into a larger move. And that's what changed everything. And then we have to talk about the beam. This has become the <laughs> emblem of the Sacramento Kings this year. Explain kind of what that is, how it started. The beam, um, I mean, if you looked it up, I believe at one point, if you looked it up on Google, the beam was listed as a religious place of worship. Um, just when it first started, as funny as it sounds. Um, but it definitely just, it's like a shining beacon in the city and it unites everyone. Um, I think they just kind of wanted to find a, in, an innovative way to gather everyone and something to look up to, um, you know, and as kind of funny as that sounds, you know. But it's basically like a beam of light that comes from the top of the stadium or the roof? Yes, it's on the roof of the stadium. It's a collection of a very high-powered purple laser um, that you can see pretty far away actually from the stadium um not throughout the whole city but the whole downtown midtown area of sacramento it can be seen um i know they kind of have to work with the airport uh to regulate that so it doesn't mess with the planes but it's right on top of the stadium they kind of give everyone a minute or two to get out of the stadium and then a player is chosen to actually light the beam there's a giant button everyone chants light the beam they do a big countdown and then everyone stands outside. The front of the stadium lights up and you can see light the beam written across the front of the Golden One Center. And then the laser goes up. You have thousands of people outside all just cheering. People come downtown to party that weren't even at the game just to take a look at the beam. It's, it's a great time. And Jeff, it wasn't that long ago when people were talking about the Kings possibly leaving Sacramento. Now they have a new arena. They have a winning team. I mean, is that how unexpected was this turnaround uh, from a franchise point of view? You could start to see pieces of it coming together. I'm not so sure anyone expected it to happen so quickly. But again, to Janie's point, they brought in a really, really good coach in Mike Brown. You know, let's not uh, forget his success. I know that he had LeBron James when he was in Cleveland. But a lot of success with that Cleveland team. Um, some of his other coaching ventures maybe didn't work out because circumstances weren't right. But in the NBA, I understand it's a player's league. I, I get that 100%. But coaches play such a vital role of putting players in the right position, maximizing their talent. And I think that's what Mike Brown has done. And then, again, when I say you started to see this coming, I think the trade last year when they acquired DeMontis Sabonis really started to change a little bit of the fortune for the Kings. They had De'Aaron Fox, who you could start to see emerging as this kind of all-star, all-NBA player. And, and then you start to build a around the edges and get these players who are complementary to the two stars that you have. Uh, a guy like Malik Monk, who you get in free agency, who had a really good year with the Lakers last season. You draft someone like Keegan Murray, who's going to come in, maybe not play tons of minutes, but he's going to be really efficient in the minutes he plays. 
And, and then you start to build confidence and you get this team headed in the right direction. And you can see, you know, this wasn't a team that, that they've been pretty steady all along, all season. This wasn't just a, a huge jump in the second half of the season. They've been, you know, close to the top of the standings or putting themselves in position to be there almost all season long. And so, you know, again, certainly a surprise that I don't think a ton of people expected. But when we're looking at it today, we can see that adding little pieces here and there, both with the coaching staff and the roster. Oh, now you look at it. Hey, we see why this team is where they are. Janie, despite all that success, I think a lot of Warriors fans, I'll include myself in this, couldn't wait to play the Kings in this first round. It was like we were watching all the tie-break scenarios, watching the scores every night, making sure, hoping we ended up in a matchup with Sacramento and avoided the Suns. Are the Kings not being taken seriously enough heading into this series, you think? Well, the Warriors are certainly taking them seriously, and uh, that's that's uh, what matters. Anybody can can speculate that that young Kings team is, you know, doesn't have the the experience on the big stage well true but the warriors were that team you know less than a decade ago and and so they will be dangerous and the warriors know that um they will need to play their best basketball and i would not i would not say that at all that the kings should be overlooked um not with mike brown as their coach and and not with some of the names and and talent that that we've just been mentioning here uh Let's let's take into account too the travel. Um, for an older team like the Warriors, not having to get on an airplane, even even a young guy named like Jordan Poole was speaking about this yesterday, the bus ride and not having to um, rush to the airport and get all that stuff in order. Um, that's that plays into this this series as well. Uh, the amount of of rest and not having to leave this time zone, not having to leave the state. Um, that's an advantage for the Warriors, I would say. We have a comment from a listener, Arian, who writes, The Lakers are my team. I grew up watching Magic Johnson. Along with first time all of California's teams are in the playoffs, Arian points out that this is also the first time no team from the state of Texas will be in the playoffs. I don't want to get into the California-Texas politics, but we can score one for the Golden State here. Um, Jordan, let's talk a little bit about what we might expect from the crowd uh, on Saturday at the Golden One Center in Sacramento. Do you feel like this is going to be a full-on Kings crowd or Warriors fans going to make the trip? I mean, what are you expecting as far as the atmosphere uh, when tip-off comes on at 5.30 on Saturday? I think regardless of the majority fan base in the stadium, the crowd will be electric. I know you all are probably aware of the price gouging situation with the playoffs for Game 1. Um, you know, I think... The other day when I checked, the cheapest ticket I could find in the nosebleeds was around $500. Um, but I do know a lot of Kings media have been attempting to make sure the crowd is strictly Sacramento fans. They've been telling resellers to exclusively sell to Kings fans. Kings fans are going to pay. They've been waiting so many years for this where I was going to take a loan out from the bank to try and get a ticket. <laughs> um, but I think... The atmosphere is going to be crazy, and it's been the thing all year. You know, the Kings games went from being pretty empty the last few years, except for the occasional night. Um, through a lot of my adolescence, people would go to Kings games just because LeBron James was in town or Kevin Durant was in town. It wasn't because the faith of the Kings, except for the diehard fans, but there would just be casual people that go there strictly to just see 
the star opponents coming into town. But this season, it's been a sellout crowd most nights, regardless of the situation, regardless of the team. You know, they could be playing the Spurs or the Rockets, a team that's been very teams that have been very unfortunate this year. And it's still 18,000 people in the building. So I can't wait to see all the theatrics that are going to happen, the pregame intro, the you know free T-shirts on the seats. They're going to make it an experience, and it's going to be great. We have a comment from a listener who writes, the cost of the playoffs and the availability of tickets has made it a question for some fans whether or not they can attend their team's games. Jordan, this is just along the lines of what you're talking about. But Jeff, is this have, are we seeing this across the league? Is this a phenomenon that's unique to Sacramento and, and just the first playoff series they've had after their drought? Or is this kind of difficulty in finding and affording playoff tickets happening all across the league? I, I think it, there's part of this that is unique to the Sacramento Golden State matchup. Um, the two teams being, you, you know, so relatively close. Um, you know, I, I expect similar things to happen if it's Boston, Philadelphia in a second round series. Um, you know, easy to, you know, relatively easy to get from city to city. Maybe not as easy as Sacramento to San Francisco. Um, but I do think that the long time from the, Kings being in the playoffs does drive up the demand for tickets. And at the same token, every year fans want playoff tickets and there's just limited availability given the size of these arenas. So it's a little combination of both, but again, such an exciting time of the year. People do enjoy being there in person. And so it doesn't surprise me that you're seeing some of this. And, you know, I think if you go back even to, you know, finals games last year, conference finals games, uh, the demand for tickets is usually pretty high. And the deeper you get into the playoffs and the longer an individual series goes, you start to see more of this. While we're on the NBA affordability tip, let's go to caller Margaret in Sebastopol. Hey, Margaret. Hi. Yeah, uh, regarding the affordability, I was wondering how you can even uh, watch it on TV without having to pay for it. Is that not possible? So I think, and and Janie, maybe you can jump in here. I think these games, most of them will be on ABC, TNT, ESPN. Two two of the games uh, are ABC games um, so far, and the others are, are local. The local station, is, as far as I know, in the first four that times that have been announced. So, Margaret, I think Saturday you'll probably be able to get it over the air on ABC um, with maybe some of the other games on cable uh, throughout the rest of the series. A few minutes left until uh, break, but I want to kind of dive into the -the on-the-court things between the Warriors and Kings uh, in this series. And, Janie, maybe just for you and talking to the Warriors coaches and players, like what are you most looking out for in this series coming up? Well, let's let's look back to last season when Jordan Poole had his first real chance on the on the playoff stage and and emerged as an elite player. And so, you've got the Warriors with three uh, two hundred three point makers, and that's um, with Clay having hit three hundred. And so, um, this this group uh, of Warriors in transition is so dangerous. And then you've got the Kings playing playing. You know this defense um, that's pretty stingy. So let's look at that. But then let's see what what Andrew Wiggins is able to do. That's a big, a big kind of unknown right now. Um, 
the Warriors believe he will be right almost back to where, where he's been. And so he's a key in this series. Um, and then the supporting cast, I mean, Kevon Looney is the leading offensive rebounder in the NBA, and he played all 82 games for the second straight season. He's durable. Uh, Jordan Poole played all 82. These two Milwaukee proud uh, workmen who kind of say that it comes from their, their Midwest shared upbringings that, you know, we're going to play all 82. Poole said yesterday, I would have I played all 82 last year if I hadn't had a little bout with COVID. And so, um, and then let's let's look at the supporting cast of, of the Warriors who gained that key experience when guys were out earlier in the year of, you know, Dante DiVincenzo and um, Anthony Lamb, Ty Jerome, Moses, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga have really emerged. Kaminga on the defensive end and uh, just can can give momentum to the Warriors with one of his drive through the paint one handed power jams that really can take that crowd to another level when the games are are here too or take the Kings crowd out of it a little bit right that uh series Warriors Kings tips off Saturday we're talking about California's four NBA teams they've all made the playoffs this year and we want to hear from you who's your team and what are your expectations heading into the playoffs want to hear your playoff memories maybe that Clippers Warriors series from 2014. Remember that? Went to game seven, dramatic back and forth. Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum or give us a call now, 866 733 6786. That's 866 733 6786. More hoops talk just ahead. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. We're talking NBA. The Warriors, Lakers, Kings, and Clippers have all made the playoffs this season for the first time ever. Joining us is Janie McCauley, sports writer covering the Warriors for the Associated Press. We also have Jeff Zilgit, NBA reporter for USA Today Sports, and Jordan White, a sports writer who's covered the Sacramento Kings for Sacktown Royalty. We also want to hear from you. What are your expectations heading into the playoffs this weekend? What are your predictions? What stood out to you from California teams this season? You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at kqedforum, 
or give us a call. We want to hear your hoop thoughts, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I want to dive in a little more to the LA teams uh, in this last segment. And Jeff, summer of 2019, it really looked like the center of the basketball universe was moving to Los Angeles. The Lakers got Anthony Davis. The Clippers got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. How has it worked out since for those two franchises? The Lakers have a championship that came in the bubble in 2020. Um, you know, obviously a, a weird year for everyone. Weird year for the NBA for sure. That don't forget that was a NBA Finals that ended in October, um, right around the time baseball is. You know, playoffs are heating up, and. So for the Lakers, they got a championship. But I also think more was expected as well. Uh, they missed the playoffs in LeBron James's first year. They didn't make it last year. Um, and, and now they're going you know, at it this year as the seventh seed. So again, championships matter. But I thought the Lakers, when they put this team together, they really thought they would probably be competing a little deeper you know, into the postseason. And again, for the Clippers, when you put together Paul George – Kawhi Leonard and a coach like Ty Lue, one of the best coaches in the NBA, you think this is going to be a team that competes, but Kawhi has played. Now I I might be off on total games played, but in the past three seasons, he missed all of the 21, 22 season. He's played about 104 of about 240 games. And so that's really going to hurt a team's chances when you don't have one of the best players in the league on the court. They have the one conference finals appearance to show for it. Um, they don't win and get to the NBA finals and they really don't have much else. And, and so again, put together a really good team, but the Western conference has been so good with golden state in the year. Golden state doesn't get to the finals. You have the Lakers getting there in the bubble. And then you also have the Phoenix suns who are putting together um, a really good team. So it, it just illustrates, you, you know, how fickle this can be, how difficult it is to win and how much a team or a franchise really needs to take advantage of the window they have. Um, and that's why you see, you know, in the Western Conference, some, you know, so difficult to win. And also when you have a team as dominant as Golden State has been over the past eight seasons, it makes it even tougher for other teams in the conference. Jordan, Russell Westbrook, he's one of the best players to ever ever come out of Southern California also one of the NBA's most polarizing players. He starts this season on the Lakers. He's now on the Clippers. What does kind of his journey this season tell us about LA's two teams? Well, you know, both teams have a lot of pressure on them, I'd say in different ways. Um, for the Lakers, their pressure is to maintain legacy and push them you know, above and beyond everywhere else, whereas the Clippers are trying to, you know, get that first championship and kind of establish, you know, the legacies of players like Paul George um, and, you know, further Kawhi Leonard's energy, um, legacy. But for Russell Westbrook, I'd say he is, in my mind, I think he's probably the key player for the Clippers going into the playoffs. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard is the best player on the team in every facet almost, but you can kind of see when Westbrook left the Lakers right before he left, he gave that quote talking about how, you know, he wants to go out there and make sure he's having fun every night. And 
I'd say that's really big for him because the last few years, I don't believe he's been having the type of fun on the court that a sports player, like an athlete should have. You know, everywhere he goes, people are hating on him, calling him names, his family. The media asks him questions that are honestly rude at times, and we've all seen it. But now that he is on the Clippers, on a vet men contract, there's a lot less pressure on him now, and he is now able to go have that fun. And I think we've seen that. He's stepped up his level of play. His shot looks a lot more confident. He's not getting bashed in the same way. And he is now in a position where I believe he is going to thrive and be a little bit of an X factor. Jeff, do you see it that way? Is this a good fit for Russell Westbrook on this Clippers team? And could he be, like Jordan said, kind of the X factor for them, uh, not only in this first round series, but if, if they advance beyond that? No, I, I agree with Jordan on the X factor. I, I think the difficult thing for Russell Westbrook at this point of his career is finding a way to mesh his style um, that is really difficult as he gets a little bit older. When he was younger, and maybe there was a little bit more explosiveness and athleticism is that he's able to do those things like get a triple double on a regular basis and not have it be so inefficient. The Russell Westbrook we've seen the past couple seasons, there's also some inefficiency um, involved, taking shots, not making as many or high a percentage um, at times. And also a guy who throughout all his career has been ball dominant. He likes to have the basketball in his hands. He, you know, likes to run the show and that's not where he is at this, at this stage of his career. And so I think Ty Lue has done a nice job, the coach of the Clippers of weaving in Westbrook and putting him in those positions. That's why I always go back to coaching sometimes of putting players in the right position and giving Westbrook the maximum amount of opportunities to, you know, showcase what he does really, really well. And certainly he's been able to do that a little bit better in this stint with the Clippers than he was able to do with the Lakers. We're talking about the NBA playoffs. All four California teams are in it. If you're a fan of one of these teams, let us know how you're feeling. You can email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. We also want to hear your memories from past playoff series. What about Sleepy Floyd lighting up the Lakers in the 1987 playoffs? Yes, we know LA won that series. Let us know your memories, your thoughts, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. We have a Warriors question from Alexis in Oakland. Alexis, what's going on? Hey, long time uh, listener, first time caller. Oh, I know that and voice. I, <laughs> I, you know, when the Warriors are great, Draymond Green is great, and I feel like the big question for the Western Conference in general is sort of how good is Draymond going to be, given that he seems to have played a lot of minutes this year, and he seems a little banged up. So I was hoping maybe the panel could fill us in on sort of how's Draymond looking, how's Draymond's body holding up. Janie, I'm going to go to you on this. This is a constant refrain from Warriors fans. Why doesn't, you know, the ownership, GMs pick up just an extra big, just take some of the load off of Draymond? He's often guarding folks a lot bigger than him. How is he looking heading into the playoffs? He seems physically to be great. Um, he, you know, these guys will all tell you that uh, that the bodies are pretty worn down. You'll hear this from even from baseball players at this the time of the year when it's, you know, playoffs time and regular season has just ended now um draymond 
if you if you go back a few months, was called upon to sort of lead that second unit. And he is to be credited for elevating that second unit, which is going to pay dividends right now. But that that um, takes a little bit of a toll. That is a sacrifice. I asked other coaches around the league. Draymond sacrificed his steady, you know, minutes that are sort of regular to play more with the second team and help that group develop. And Draymond took a lot of pride in that. His body is probably tired. He does a lot. He's physical. He plays right on the edge emotionally, too. We know that. And um, Steve Kerr loves, and and Draymond's teammates love it. He plays right on the cusp of crossing the line. And uh, that's, that's a toll, too. I mean, that takes a toll on you physically, emotionally, to be just at that level night in and night out. So... Uh, they'll they'll get him a breather and go to a smaller lineup when they need to with some of those uh, guards off the bench. But um, he seemed great yesterday, and and um, I don't I don't always worry about those guys at this time of year. They find a way to um, take care of their bodies. They don't practice for long periods of time. At you know Steve Kerr with this group has them you know doing fewer shoot arounds doing shorter practices, more recovery time, take what you want days, as he calls them, where uh, they, they don't get on the floor if they don't need to. They, they spend more time in the training room. And Janie, as you told us at the very top of the show, Draymond started this season off by punching his teammate in the face in a, in a practice. How has his uh, you know, season gone as a leader? Has he still been able to be the same kind of vocal presence he's been for this Warriors dynasty following that incident. Absolutely. And that's a big credit to Jordan Poole for moving past that too. They they are friends and they are teammates. They value each other. And that could have really damaged any other team but the Warriors. I, I, I believe that. But uh, Draymond took his game to another level, going back to what I just said about him leading that second unit. And you know, if you're a veteran player and you're used to playing certain stretches with certain guys and now you're sort of being weaved in uh, depending on the night, depending who's sidelined by injury. Wiggins was gone, uh, you know, off the court a lot for different um, injuries, illnesses and, and family matters. And so Draymond shined by doing that. And that earned him a lot of, uh, of street cred, so to speak, with, with everybody that he just... Um, unselfishly led that second group. And that group may play a key role uh, coming off the bench and having gained valuable experience months ago. You're listening to Forum. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. And Jeff, I want to pick up talking about some of these big financial changes that might be on the horizon coming for the NBA. There's a collective bargaining agreement that's just been agreed to. And it seems like changes could be coming, especially for high-spending teams like the Warriors and like the Clippers. Yeah, the, the one thing the league set out to do, uh, besides find a way to increase the share of the pie, was to find a way to limit some of the spending on certain teams. And, and, and I know this is a little insider basketball or baseball-ish, but the idea that the Warriors this year, between their payroll of about 160, 170 million, 
plus the luxury taxes on that payroll of about the same amount, meaning they're spending more than $300 million this year for this team with salary to players. And then the luxury tax, the league doesn't really want teams outspending other teams by that significant amount, especially in your mid or smaller markets. I know the league hates the phrase smaller market, but let's just be honest about it. That's where a Charlotte falls in the category. A team like Detroit, even Milwaukee and Cleveland to a certain extent um, fall into that. And, and so they don't want one franchise that happens to be in a market that can charge more for tickets, more for advertising, get a much better TV deal. I've often said that one year of the Lakers TV deal is probably worth more than four years of Charlotte's TV deal with its local partner. Um, I'm not talking about the national TV deal with TNT or ESPN slash ABC, just the local deal where you watch games on the regular. And, and so the league has put in a couple mechanisms to curb that. I don't know yet what effect it's going to have. We'll have to start seeing that over the next couple seasons, exactly how it impacts teams. Um, but players are still going to get paid. The league, along with the union, have agreed to share that big pie at about a 50-50 split. Um, so no matter how much money the league is making as part of basketball related income, it's being split with the players. And so the players aren't going to miss money here. What you might see is that maybe some players don't get as high of a deal as they might under the previous collective bargaining agreement, but they're certainly getting paid. Um, and at the end of the year, if there's a surplus that's due to the players, then it's distributed to them. And, and so one of the reasons also I think that the league and the union were able to come to terms on a collective bargaining agreement before there was a labor stoppage is that there's just way too much money involved here to ruin this golden goose. You see the cost of franchises just skyrocketing in value. Um, the Phoenix Suns were just sold along with the WNBA Phoenix Mercury for about $4 billion uh, valuation. And that was, you know, Robert Sarver bought that team, you know, almost a couple decades ago at about a $450 million valuation. And, and then player salaries since the last lockout, you know, the salary cap was about $55 million a decade ago. Now it's around $120 million. So that's doubled in just a decade. Um, we're getting ready to see Damian Lillard in the next few seasons become, you know, a $60 million a year player. And then we're not far off from the 70 or $75 million a year player. So finances are good. The league's going to get a new TV deal in the next few years, and that's going to increase the pie as well. And, and so, again, there were some mechanisms to limit spending, uh, but overall the league and the players feel that they're in good financial shape. And you have the Kings with the new arena, the Warriors, and it sounds like Steve Ballmer, the owner of the Clippers, is working on something similar in Englewood. He does. That arena should be ready in, in a couple of seasons, and it's right near um, where one of the Los Angeles teams, uh, football teams, um, plays. And so it, it's going to, you know, they're trying to uh, rejuvenate the area um, a little bit and, you know, bring people in. We've seen that done in lots of cities um, as well. And so these owners have the, the finances to do this. And then, you know, secondarily to that, you start to see some of these teams with their practice facilities is that, you know, it's part of the arms race in the NBA. What kind of practice facility can we build or provide, you know, that gives players some additional amenities? I, I remember when Philadelphia 
built theirs not long ago. They were just, you know, automatically offering dry cleaning services um, to players. Um, and, and just to try to make their lives easier, they were walking out the practice facility with fresh meals, um, with, with all the kind of hydration and nutrition that you need and, and able to take that home or have it before practice. And, and that's another part of just the spending that teams are trying to do to land or sign the very best players in the league. We've got some comments from our audience. One listener writes, let's go Kings. Who doesn't love an underdog story? And Rudy tweets, who do you think Charles Barkley is going to pick in the Dubs King series? He is notorious for usually picking against the Dubs, says Rudy. Jenny, we got about 30 seconds left. Charles Barkley, Warriors feud has been going on for a long time. Any any uh, answer for Rudy there? Well, Clay will try to prove Charles wrong. Whatever whatever it is, um, Clay, Clay has a chip on his shoulder these days that comes from being out for... More than two and a half years with two devastating injuries. So whatever fuel uh, Charles Barkley throws, um, Clay will use it to um, take his game to another level. I, I believe that. We will see. That's Janie McCauley, sports writer covering the Golden State Warriors for the Associated Press. We've also have been hearing from Jeff Zilgit, NBA reporter for USA Today Sports, and Jordan White, a sports writer who's covering the Sacramento Kings. Thank you to all my guests. Thank you to all of our listeners. This Hour of Forum is produced by Carolyn Smith, Rachel Vasquez, and Lakshmi Shera. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Jim Bennett, and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Guy Marzarati in for Mina Kim. You've been listening to Forum. Enjoy all the basketball. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, The smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.